from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Following a complete domination of its in-state rival, Kansas, a 55-14 victory last week in Manhattan, Kansas State is back in action on Saturday, on the road this time as the Cats face West Virginia in Morgantown. The game kicks off at 11 a.m. Central and will be shown on ESPN2. Welcome to the Fitz and Keats Powercat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. When K-State plays, we are here to give you the preview. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame show. I am GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and I'm here to take you on a tour of experts that will help us preview K-State at West Virginia. A very crucial game for the Cats that falls smack dab in the middle of its Big 12 schedule. At 4-0 and now ranked 16th in both of the major polls, Kansas State has an opportunity to take one more step closer to an appearance in the Big 12 championship game. Next week, it gets very interesting. Oklahoma State comes to Manhattan, followed by a trip to Iowa State, the other two teams that, along with the Wildcats, sit atop the Big 12 standings. K-State is in the most crucial stretch of its schedule, and the Wildcats have incredibly emerged as a possible champion in the Big 12 Conference. Incredible because they looked so bad against Arkansas State to open the season, and ever since that fourth quarter at Oklahoma, when the Wildcats rallied to win, the Cats have been getting better and better. K-State is now 4-1 on the season, and the Cats improved to 4-0 in the Big 12 for the first time since 2014, following a complete domination of KU, its 12th straight win over the in-state rival Jayhawks. The victory was impressive considering the Wildcats scored twice on special teams, once on defense, and had a balanced offensive attack that scored on its first three possessions of the third quarter. Will Howard is the first K-State true freshman signal caller to win his first two starts at quarterback. Another true freshman, running back Deuce Vaughn, continues to impress as he leads the team in rushing and receiving the only player in the Big 12 to lead his team in both categories. Vaughn is also the only player in the nation to eclipse 300 rushing yards and 300 receiving yards so far in 2020. More importantly, K-State is currently plus eight in turnovers, which is tied for second best in the country. The Wildcats lost their first turnover of the year in the third quarter at TCU, but they quickly made amends later in the quarter against the Horned Frogs, thanks to a pick six from senior A.J. Parker, which proved to be the difference in that game. In the last two games, the Wildcats have scored two touchdowns via punt returns, and have also had two interceptions returned for touchdowns. Parker, and of course, last week against Kansas 
Kansas, Justin Gardner did the trick. A pair of senior linebackers from Georgia, Elijah Sullivan and Justin Hughes, are the Wildcats' top two tacklers on a defense that is emerging as one of the more dominating units in all of the Big 12. West Virginia is coming off a 34-27 loss to Texas Tech in Lubbock last week to fall to 3-2 and on the year and 2-2 two and two in Big 12 play. The Mountaineer defense ranks first in the Big 12 in both total defense and passing defense. Additionally, WVU is second in the Big 12 in scoring defense at 21.8 points per game. The defense is led by brothers Darius and Dante Stills as they both rank among the Big 12's best in tackles for loss. Running back Letty Brown ranks third in the Big 12 in rushing at 118.4 yards per game. And quarterback Jared Deggy, who torched the Cats last year in Manhattan, has thrown for almost 1,400 yards this season with nine touchdowns and three interceptions. The all-time series between K-State and West Virginia is tied 5-5 thanks to a current four-game winning streak by the Mountaineers. And now let's get cranking with your preview of K-State at West Virginia. And we start this off, as we always do, with my sidekick, Kansas City radio legend Kevin Keatsman, who can be heard on his daily podcast, Kevin Keatsman Has Issues. Check it out at kkhasissues.com. And then we will go on a tour of our other experts, Ryan Wallace, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart, to talk about the odds, not just in this game, but around the Big 12. But first, it's time for Keats. Keats, the cats just keep rolling along, and what they did to Kansas was even more humiliating somehow than just having the ball run at you all day long and losing by 40. I'll just say it. That was the worst special teams performance I've ever seen by a major program, and, and it set up the best special teams performance I've ever seen by a major program. It was just such a mismatch in that area of the game. That decided it, let alone that K-State's defense and offense ended up being better. Incredible. Well, Kansas State is very, very well coached, so I'm, I'm going to take this a different direction. We'll talk a lot and have talked a lot so far this year about how well coached K-State is and what the job Chris Kleiman and his staff have done and how well they've done. I'm trying to think if I ever remember a Kansas team worse coached than the one I saw last Saturday. And I guess you can't. It's COVID year. It's only a second season. You can't really fire less miles. Kansas doesn't have the money. They've got the NCAA breathing down their neck. So they got a lot of reasons why not. Man, that was the typical kind of game where you fire your coach at halftime. If anybody ever got fired at halftime, that was it. That punt with four seconds left in the first half to me was absolutely a fireable offense. I mean, we were we were all just getting up, going to the bathroom, getting ready to make snacks, thinking they're just going to kick this out of bounds. But I like I what I said was Kleiman needed to call the timeout sooner. I think he could have called it with like 12 seconds left, couldn't he? Yeah. And the clock ran a little bit, and then he called it. And what we were talking about was, wow, maybe Kleiman could have called that a few seconds earlier, and K-State could have thrown a Hail Mary. We weren't even discussing whether or not the punt was going out of bounds. We knew the punt was going out of bounds, no matter what. And then he just kicks it right down the middle of the field. I mean, you got to love it when a team hands you stuff like that. Then we turned around the next day, and the Chiefs-Broncos was the identical same game. It was K-State-KU all over again. I Man, I just loved it. K-State and the Chiefs got wins, and they were routes over rivals that just looked inept. That bodes well for the future, too. Yeah, it really does. It sets a tone of domination in the series that, 
uh, honestly hasn't been there. You know, the last few years of Bill Snyder, the games are kind of competitive. I thought David Beatty was making progress, and then he's gone, and in comes Les Miles. I, I I don't know where they're going because their sales pitch this year, Kevin, is uh, we're going to build for the future and play young and da-da-da-da-da. And you look through the roster, and they're not really playing young. K-State's playing young, and they just ran out a bunch of young players and beat you over the head with them. And, oh, yeah, all those special teams are stocked with a bunch of walk-on kids from the state of Kansas you could have had with a scholarship offer. It's just insane to me the differences in these programs, the gap that is there with Kansas recruits and with quality of play and and just the quality of the young players they're playing. I mean, they're, they've turned to, a, what, a sophomore running back now in, in Belton Gardner. And, well, K-State – Oh, they have a red shirt or a true freshman that's a better running back already. It's just crazy. Well, it's evaluation. It's it, 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 you know, tradition matters in recruiting, but you have to be good at the time. I've I've always said like Nebraska's tradition isn't really helping them a lot right now. But the fact that you you have fans, you have interest in your program, um, some tradition, some history that matters as long as you have a good coach and a good program. But he's identifying talent and he's bringing it in and less miles. Maybe they're upgrading their talent. They've gone younger and playing younger players. But I had a friend point out to me when Les Miles hired his staff, and it's not unusual for a new coach to hire coaches and put them in positions that are promotions, but it is unusual for a coach to come in and everybody that's on his staff got a promotion from wherever they were. Not not any lateral moves, not people you'd been with before. You didn't grab this coordinator that you had at LSU and brought him in. None of that. So in order to get these people to Kansas on this staff for Les Miles, who's making a pile of money, okay, and you said you don't know where they're going with this team, Les Miles goes to the bank every two weeks is where he goes, and it's a big, fat check that he's getting. Everybody there at Kansas got a pay raise from where they were. So you've got an entire coaching staff that this is the most money they've ever made, and, I mean, I don't think they have any real expectation to succeed. They'll they'll coach a little. They'll recruit some players. They'll give some sort of an effort, but it doesn't seem very – coherent to me the plan does not look coherent to me I, I don't know what Kansas is trying to do with this program I, I literally can't give you a definition of whether they want to be offensive or defensive whether they want a running quarterback or a passing quarterback I can't give you any indication that I know of what Kansas wants to do going forward with Kansas State it was defined the day Chris Kleiman was hired I mean, it was absolutely defined you knew exa- you'd watch North Dakota State you knew exactly what K-State was going to be and I'll be darned they're an awful lot like that I mean a lot like that Yep, I agree. You know, back when they beat Oklahoma, I laid out the best-case scenario, and that was Tech, go to TCU, Kansas, go to West Virginia. This could turn into 5-0 and if they stay on course. And, you know, that's one of those things you say during the course of a, a show that you think, well, it's not going to work out that way. But we're going to say that today because that's the talking point. Well, here we are on the cusp of K-State going to West Virginia and K-State well, they're four and zero in the Big Twelve with a chance to end up at five and zero if they beat the Mountaineers. It's amazing that they're staying on track. To me, after as bad as they were in that opener, they have steadily improved. This team keeps getting better, and I don't see them taking a step back. Which brings me to this game. I think K State's going to win this game for this reason. West Virginia doesn't pose anything out of the box. They're not going to do anything crazy. They're not going to shuffle the deck on the game of football so much that it might confuse K-State for a half. They're going to line up and run the ball with Letty Brown. 
with a very balanced offense and a good defense. In some ways, these two teams mirror themselves, other than the fact that K-State's had more success. I'm anxious to see this game. This is going to be a run-based, almost old-school-style football game with two good defenses. I'm going to enjoy it. I am, too, and I think the easiest comp is they both just played Kansas. And when you look at the way they played Kansas, obviously can't – and you can't – it doesn't guarantee you anything that K-State beat the living daylights out of KU and – and West Virginia fell behind 10 nothing, and then struggled against them. They eventually got the ball moving and racked up some yards and won the game handily. I think they won by 20 points. But the couple things that stand out was they got behind 10 nothing, did West Virginia, and they gave up a kick return at the end of the game. Maybe they had backups on the field. I don't know. Uh, but they gave up a, a kickoff return, a special teams touchdown. And then you kind of pair that with what we just saw K-State against KU. And it looks like if, if KU is any barometer, I, I hate to even – think in these terms, but if they're any barometer at all, I agree with you. I expect K-State to win this game. What stood out to me with West Virginia against Kansas is how how difficult it was for them to score against Kansas. They wound up scoring a bunch. Did they score 38 points in the game, I think, or something like that? 30-something. But they had trouble all day. It took a long drive. They had to run the ball, move the chains. They would have third and sevens, and they'd get seven and a half yards. You know, it was that kind of thing. So it was it was painful for a while them to get it going against KU I actually thought maybe because of that KU's defense was better than I thought but I think K-State really exposed that Will Howard was terrific in the game last week and while they didn't need the offense to be great in that game they certainly did what they wanted against Kansas so as a barometer I think that's a good sign for K-State I agree 38-17 was the final of that game and then West Virginia followed that up last weekend by going to Texas Tech and losing 34-27 in a very entertaining game but uh, the Tech offense was able to exploit what has been a pretty good West Virginia defense all season long, uh, and I think it is a sound defense. But I love this. I mean, they're giving the ball to Letty Brown 20 times a game, and he's running for about 120, a little under. Um, that's football to me, and, and that poses a real challenge for the K-State defense. This is what West Virginia is presenting and putting on the table, a running game. Can you stop it? And, and Keats, I, I believe in this K-State defense. Is it perfect? No, but it's it's growing every week. It seems to be improving every week. In fact, one of KU's touchdowns was against the backups off a short field situation. This defense seems like the kind of defense that's going to bottle up Luddy Brown and make Jared Dagey beat him, beat them, but he did it last year. Maybe he can do it again. Yeah, I think the key probably to stopping the run is, and you've talked a lot uh, when we've discussed this year, is how much you like the corners at K-State. If you can put the corners on the receivers and leave them alone and get all the safety help you need to stop the run, I think K-State will stop the run. I I think it's really hard to run on a team that is trying to stop the run. The question is, will Daggy be able to then go over the top and get K-State on the edges, get them downfield by throwing the football? And if the corners at K-State and and the coverage is that good, I think they're going to have a really hard time doing that. So I I just think that's the key. I think if they get a lot of safety help, play the linebackers up, they can stop the run if they want to. They just expose them to passing it downfield. I think what you want to tell West Virginia is, let's see if Daggy can throw it 30 yards downfield and beat us. Yeah, I agree. They're throwing it about 50, a little more than 50% of the time. So they do throw it around a little bit. Um, I just don't think... K-State's going to let Daigie beat them again after what happened last year in Manhattan with that chaotic, I think it was 52-yard pass where a receiver somehow magically appeared behind the K-State defense. I watched that entire play, and I never saw that guy until the pass basically was almost to him. I don't know where he came from, but 
They got it done in Manhattan. How much does that play into this game? The the thought that last year West Virginia wasn't very good and they came into your house and beat you. If I'm a player, I'm still a little bit pissed off about that, to be honest. Yeah, I think, you know, those are motivating factors, no doubt. If you feel like you let one get away that you should have won, you want to go prove that what you've been thinking for a year is correct, but you still have to go play it out on the field and make sure that it is correct. And I, I still think Kansas State has enough challenges offensively that nothing's a given. You know, they really rely on the defense. They're going to have to play good defense against West Virginia and keep this game in the mid-20s, upper 20s, something like that. I don't like K-State this year at all, really, at this point, in any kind of a shootout. Now, they play the kind of game that they can avoid shootouts if they want because they can run a little clock. Even if they don't score, they can get a couple first downs, play great special teams, punt the ball inside the 10, make a team go 14 plays to score on you, which eats up time. So a lot of things K-State does really helps its offense but i just i don't know i'm still not completely sold on the offense or will howard although i felt like i saw improvement in him in the second half of that game last week or third quarter i guess it was because he came out but what one of the things that i really like i've not seen him look at a second receiver yet i don't think until the third quarter in any of his play every throw i've seen him make is the read whatever the play called is he knows what receiver that is and he looks for him and he throws it And a couple times in that third quarter, I saw him look and not see something and turn the other way and complete a pass. I'd not seen that yet with Will Howard. And that's a big step. We don't need him to be Patrick Mahomes reading the field or Aaron Rodgers. But if he can start to get to a point where he can find a second receiver, man, that's going to help the passing game a lot. That sure will. Uh, K-State's offense wasn't very good in the first half. Much of it self-inflicted with penalties. They never really got going. Uh, in a serious way in the first half. But you're right. That third quarter was really good. They came out with three possessions and three touchdowns. Will Howard clicked. The offensive line clicked. The penalties disappeared. Progress. And that's really when you got a true freshman quarterback, if you can see progress and he's not repeating mistakes over and over, heck, he's really not making that many mistakes, uh, it's very encouraging. And I think Will Howard is is proving that he can lead this team to victories now, if they win and next week against Oklahoma State, it gets pretty interesting. A lot of weight will be on his shoulders. But so far, and I think you'll agree with this, this schedule has afforded them the opportunity not to say, Will Howard, you need to go win us games. It's Will Howard, we're going to win this game, come along for the ride, and learn as you go. And that's a pretty good predicament for K-State to be in. Well, it's a great spot to be in because right now, I mean, we're not putting the cart before the horse. If we just start talking about, okay, go get this one, how does K-State get into the title game? Let's start looking at tiebreakers, which are the most important games to play. Probably the Iowa State game is the single most important game, although you know Oklahoma State losing would have been better, I think. Um, I think the chance then of Iowa State, K-State playing each other, they both have the tiebreaker over OU, would be a big deal. A lot of people think OU is going to run the table. I love looking at the conference right now and playing what if or who are you going to beat and which games are more important. Like if Kansas State's going to lose a couple of games, which ones can they lose? Uh, West Virginia is one that can lose, but you don't want to lose games like that. You want to go win that one to, to rack up all, all your wins. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was the penalties in the first half last week. I don't understand this, bit. it was the first quarter they had eight penalties. I tweeted at the end of the first quarter, they're on pace for 32 penalties in this game. And I, I couldn't believe it. And it just doesn't, it doesn't jive at all with what Chris Kleiman is and, and the way K-State plays. And I find it hard to believe that at the end of the quarter, Kleiman called him up and said, okay, stop doing this now. And then the penalties just went away. 
I can't figure penalties out at the college level. I don't think they're very consistent. They seem to come in forms of an avalanche, and K-State was a victim of that at the start of that game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you've looked at the tape, and they were all really egregious penalties or fouls or something, but that's the one that doesn't really register with me with Chris Kleiman and his teams. When they have penalty problems, it just kind of surprises me because they really play good, smart football, and you wouldn't think penalties would be a big problem. Yeah, the one that jumped out at me was the Harry Trotter hold on the Will Howard run. You know, he, he did grab a hold of the guy, but in a very typical fashion inside of his blocking frame, he didn't, you know, hang on to him too long. And, you know, Will Howard was past him by the time the guy broke free. It, it's something you see on every play, basically, when a running back blocks. It's just pretty common. But a lot of them were the offensive line being the K-State offensive line. Not very experienced, not very cohesive right now, um, and sometimes just dumb. I mean, they do some dumb things during the course of a game, but that's what you get for having a young offensive line and not much experience in practice with spring football or everything else canceled. So uh, they continue to get better. Let's put it that way. They they were much better in the second half, and I agree. It It's almost like the officials flipped a switch. I don't think Chris Kleiman flipped the switch. I think the officials said, okay, we're getting a little carried away here. Um, this isn't even football anymore. But a lot of officials like to be the star of the game too, so – uh, that's just the world in which we live. Uh, K-State's defense, Keats, uh, I really like them a lot. And, you know, you mentioned the corners earlier. Uh, they are so sound at cornerback, so good. Uh, they're able to do some things. Now there are uh, questions about A.J. Parker at, at nickelback. He sprained an ankle, looked like a high ankle sprain. I sense that he may not play. He might be a game-time decision, but uh, – you know, now they lose guys in, on defense and someone else comes in, and I don't really see a change in the defense. Joe Klanderman deserves some kind of gold star. I mean, I can't believe the progress his defense has made. They shuffle guys in, they shuffle guys out, and the defense stays at pretty much the same level until they got to all the backups, the third stringers out there in that late-game situations. But it's pretty sound, isn't it? It really is, and people know their assignments. It doesn't matter who they put in, they know their assignments. But yes, the very end of the game, uh, that was quite a collection of players out there. But great to get them on the field and give them a chance to go out and do something. I love that. I, I also tweeted out at that point, um, it should be known that when – I think KU had a – did they have a first and goal at like the 14 before they scored there at the end? Or not first and goal, first and 10 at the 14. And I made some sort of a comment. I said, I'm not condoning this. I'm merely pointing out – that if it was 1993 and Bill Snyder was the coach, the first team defense would be back on the field. And that's what he would have done because there was a time and place you did that in college football because everything was predicated on the beauty of your final score. You know, the polls mattered, you know, all the, the, the it was a beauty contest. You remember those days and, and he would have done that, but you don't do that in this day and age. So it is amazing the way the defense plays. They're so assignment sound. There were a couple of guys that, that um, there weren't really missed tackles in the game. There were a couple of times where the, you know, the KU ball carrier or whatever hit the K-State tackler and carried him three or four yards. I can live with that. If you're in position and you've got your arms on a guy and he's just running harder than you at that point and they get a few yards or get a first down, I can still live with all those things. They're, they're assignment sound, man. I love that part of this. And it's, it doesn't happen in a lot of places. Uh, Kentucky, I thought, was a team like that. We talked about that a little bit last week. But they uh, struggled a little bit against Missouri. And Missouri played great defense, so maybe we're seeing it come back around in some places. I don't know, but Kansas State sure is fun to watch on defense. They really are. It it uh, seems like they're good at every level now, and I particularly like the defensive line. They shuffle the parts quite a bit. 
You see different guys making plays. Uh, in fact, when they went to the reserves, guys still were making plays. It was really encouraging. And uh, they're really good in passing situations, which gets us back to West Virginia. If you take away Letty Brown uh, as best you can on first and second down and put them in a passing situation, that is more so now this year, K-State's forte than it's been for so long. Oh, you're in third and five or more? Well, we're coming after you with our front four, and they can get to you. And that's just such a big part of football. I don't care what level you're playing at. If your front four can get to a quarterback and make them uncomfortable, you're not going to lose. You're just not going to lose. I mean, it's that important unless the quarterback's Patrick Mahomes and can find anyone anywhere and put the ball through a tire at 40 yards. Uh, quarterbacks at this level and the college level just aren't going to make those plays, and that's what K-State does to opposing offenses. Well, when it's third and long, K-State gets a good pass rush, and K-State's the kind of defense that if you're going to convert the first down, you have to throw it past the marker. And I would say this about Kansas State the last few years. If I had third and 11 against K-State, I mean, screen passes just seem to always work. Yeah. You just throw one. A lot of times what they ask, what, a, what an offensive coordinator will say, we're going to toss you the screen pass, and K-State does it with, with Deuce Vaughn. Just beat the first guy. If you beat the first guy, now it's a broken field, and you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff because the screen pass is going to have some guys checked off and blocked. But you got to beat the first guy. Somebody's on you, spotting you, and we don't have a blocker for that guy. It's a little bit like a kick return. K-State's defense now tackles the screen catcher every single time before it can become a screen pass with a broken field. The guy whose assignment is the running back or whomever that they're going to throw the screen pass to makes the tackle for a three-yard gain. And then you don't make you don't make the eleven yards. It's it's so much fun to watch when when one tackler can get the job done. Fits it changes your defense completely. And they always seem to have a collection of tacklers out there. That if I'm the guy and I'm positioned, I'm getting the guy. Yeah, it's incredible. They are very sound tacklers, uh, and I love that. K State now is the team creating the one-on-ones, which Bill Snyder was a master at. That's what his offense did. He wasn't in a spread formation, but his offense created one-on-ones. But now he's back, uh, the program's back to having the players that can win those one-on-ones on a consistent basis uh, because Deuce Vaughn is special. There's no doubt about it. He got a hand banged up in the course of the game. We expect him to play on Saturday at West Virginia. Uh, But uh, they've got other guys. Mosey can do it. I mean, you put a lot of these players in one-on-one situations, and they're going to make a play. Keats had 10 guys make pass catches. They got the receivers involved against KU. 10 different players, fullbacks, tight ends, running backs, receivers. They spray the ball all over the field, and I can't imagine being an opposing defensive coordinator trying to prepare for what K-State offensively can do when they get in system and start spreading the ball around between the running and passing game. It's really fun to watch. Well, they got a bunch of different tight ends they throw to, and, and my guy is Taylor. I, I still contend there's not a defensive back in this conference if you throw the ball just a little bit high enough that the defender is going to be able to do anything with Sebastian Taylor. You're just not going to be able to. He's going to go up and get it. They're throwing it to him out in the flat now, and you know he's running it for seven or eight yards and getting nice first down gains. I love seeing plays like that on first down. It's kind of an extended running game, but he is such a big target that K-State hasn't had. I, I, I really don't know how any corner in this league can match up and say, okay, let's go high point the ball and take it away from that kid. Cause you're not gonna. No, no, he's a basketball player out there. It seems like And he's finally coming into his own in a passing offense that has kind of been groping around trying to find things. And he, 
is emerging as the guy. But Malik Knowles got a catch finally. DJ Rinder continues to make plays, which is just amazing to me. Um, the kid couldn't get on the field for the Snyder program, couldn't get on the field for the Kleiman program, so they moved him to defense. Then they had to move him back to offense because of the numbers problem they ran into leading up to that Arkansas State game, and now he's a key cog. It's just amazing how some players have stepped into the void created by COVID-19 and really changed their college careers. Boy, Doe on defense is doing the same t- thing as corner. Nobody was wanting to put him on the field. They put him on the field at Oklahoma out of necessity. Oh, he's going to play pretty well. Oh, he's going to continue to get better and better. It's it's remarkable. It's it what Chris Kleiman, Joe Klanderman, and Courtney Messingham are doing right now with using the depth on the roster is incredible because, bluntly put, Keats, uh, for all we loved about Bill Snyder, he wasn't known for depth on the roster. The ones played, the twos watched until they had to play, absolutely had to play. And now the rotation of players leaves them fresh, leaves them talented. I, I'm bought in, man. I'm bought in. It's really fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, and with, and with Snyder, you just crossed your fingers. There weren't too many injuries, and you knew at the end of the year they were beaten up. It was going to be a little more difficult. But, look, football's the ultimate team game, and sometimes you don't know what a kid is going to do from practice to the actual field. Sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it's really bad. You know, some guys look great in practice. and can't play on game day. They get nervous and can't, can't perform and, and forget their assignment and all kind of like, you know, somebody just kind of out there choking and not knowing what to do. And some guys you put out there and they're like, I got nothing to lose. I've been around long enough. I know what I'm supposed to do. What the hell? I'm just going to go do it. And I think we're seeing some of that with these K-State players. It's the ultimate team game. It's why we love it. And if they beat West Virginia, if they beat West Virginia, I think they can go two and two in their last four and be in the Big 12 title game. I, I would agree. I mean, uh, that's what's incredible about it. It just takes uh, not losing more than two games, and you're probably in it. Um, I guess the scenario would be Oklahoma State and Iowa State end up with one loss each or end up with the right. tiebreaker. But uh, having that two-game lead over Oklahoma is it's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. You still got two on, on Texas, and they have to come in. I don't see any way Texas wins a cold-weather game in December in Manhattan, Kansas. I just don't. I, I guess – and the other way to look at it is if K-State wins this week, and then if they can beat Iowa State, I don't think anything keeps them out. I think they're in. I think that's a lock. They just go get this one. We'll talk about it next week, but let's get to 5-0, and oh, and then we'll look at it and say, hey, listen, if they beat Iowa State, they're in. They're, they're, there's no way K-State's not in the title game if they don't beat Iowa State. That's exciting. In and of itself, that's exciting to have a game like that. Yeah, it really is. It's going to take a collapse by these Kansas State Wildcats not to be in a position to be fighting for a spot in the Big 12 title game. And who would have thunk that after that first game when I was ready to surrender every game except Kansas? When I thought, okay, it's just going to be that season when uh, caught in a rebuild during a pandemic, K-State isn't going to perform. I apologize to Chris Kleiman for underestimating him. I hope he's listening. And if we're both being honest, we were both worried about the Kansas game too. Yeah, I'm not going to admit that. I'm not going to admit that. <laughs> after Arkansas State, not last week. Yeah, after Arkansas State. I'm still not going to admit it. Nope, nope. Okay. Not, go, not right. going to go there. Yeah. I have faith in Les Miles screwing up the pooch, <laughs> and, and he, he sure did. He sure did. He seems capable of that. Keats, thank you very much. Great stuff as always, and we'll see what happens, and we will reconvene next week leading up to Oklahoma State in Manhattan. And, boy, 
that could be a really entertaining game. It should be great. Thank you, sir. Kevin Keatsman, we will be back on the Powercat pregame show with all of our analysts lined up in the second half. Ryan Wallace, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart await, and we will be right back. The Powercat podcast will be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to the Fitz and Keats PowerCat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. Now we bring in our recruiting expert, he helps out with team coverage at gopowercat.com. Ryan Wallace. Uh, Wally, that was really satisfying last Saturday. Uh, it just seems like whenever KU thinks they have a chance, something absurd happens to them. And this time it was the absurdity of how bad their special teams were in contrast to how good Kansas State was. And really, it was so dominant, it didn't matter what happened on offense and defense at the end of the day. K-State won those two, but K-State just drilled KU with special teams. It was something else. Yeah, I mean, that was as special a performance as K-State fans have really seen out of a special teamer in Phillips Brooks last week. And that's saying something because K-State is known as special teams use. So, I mean, when you're getting those kind of headlines, you know it's a bad day if you're the Jayhawks. But for me, I, I was just really impressed with uh, what a complete performance it was. And, I mean, we can talk about all day how we you kind of assumed that it was going to be a, a good overall day for K-State because it was the opponent that it was. But, you know, to have Will Howard connecting um, on his passes for 252 yards, you know, not almost nine yards per pass, they were able to do some things on the ground, really fits when you reflect back on that game. The only thing I think that you could maybe knock K-State a little bit for um, were the penalties. Ten penalties for 81 yards, but other than that, it was exactly what the doctor ordered. And the penalties were a lot of that offensive line again. It's still a work in progress. They've made remarkable progress throughout the course of the season, but they can't do that. You can get away with that against Kansas, but you do that in Morgantown on Saturday – you might just end up losing a football game because you're going to need to have a much more complete game against a West Virginia team that, honestly, I can't figure out is pretty good or just kind of hanging on, but they're good enough to beat you. I can say that. Um, is this offensive line in a position now to go win a game like this with Will Howard at quarterback? That's a big question. Um, this will be the, the test. You know, I, we talked going into the TCU game um, about how that was kind of a nightmare matchup, I think is how I described it. 
for a young freshman and, a, and an offensive line that even at that point was still kind of up and down. This is very much the same. I, I think Coach Kleiman would agree that TCU probably presents more problems just from an athletic standpoint. I think top to bottom, the TCU defense has arguably some more speed, some better athletes that cover sideline to sideline. But that being said, this is a West Virginia defense that to this point will be the best defense, scoring defense anyhow, that Kansas State has seen so far this season. And it's all started up front by the two Stills brothers on the defensive line, Darius and Dante. Um, if you go look at the Big 12 stats right now, it is littered with Mountaineer, uh, Mountaineer defenders, both in sacks and tackles for loss. I would imagine that with an inexperienced secondary – uh, that West Virginia is going to bring into this game and a, a lot of experience up front, including uh, middle linebacker Tony Fields, that they were able to steal away a uh, coveted transfer linebacker from Arizona who's been everything for them. I wouldn't be surprised if they throw the kitchen sink at Will Howard here early in the game and say, you know what, we're going to take a chance, dare you uh, to do anything with, with your passing offense outside of Deuce Vaughn and Briley Moore uh, we'll take our chances with an inexperienced secondary and load the box against Will Howard. And it is going to be interesting to see not only how Will Howard handles the pressure, but this offensive line, because this is a defensive line that is for real, Fitz. Yeah, it really is. Those still brothers, still brothers are special. They're really good. Look, this was good enough uh, to get it done at TCU. And by it, I mean defense really won the day in Fort Worth a couple weeks ago. Is that something they can replicate in this game? Is the defense can be good enough against Jared Dagey and Luddy Brown and everything else they have to offer to put the team in a position to win like they did at TCU? Well, I actually think this K-State defense uh, has some strong suits to counter uh, what West Virginia wants to do. I think, you know, for those who haven't been able to really check out the Neil Brown experiment going on at West Virginia. Uh, though offensively it might look like Dana Holgerson's offense, you know, with the, the spread shotgun kind of air raid attack, and they do spread it out offensively, it is by and large really predicated on the ground with Letty Brown. And you saw Texas Tech maybe figure things out uh, as far as opponents go against West Virginia last week. Because pretty much what they said was, we're going to give up the pass. We're, we're going to pretty much hope that Jarrett Dagey makes some mistakes um, as an inefficient um, passer. He'll hit you with some big ones, but by and large, he, he's also going to make plenty of mistakes, and he did in Lubbock. But basically what they did was they just said, we're going to put a ton of hats up front and really slow down Letty Brown, and that's exactly what they did. West Virginia has been able to get by this season um, on the shoulders of Larry Br Letty Brown because – they're a, you know, A and B gap heavy offense that wants to get Letty Brown in a tunnel and then get him through the defensive line and just go create in the open field. And Texas Tech really limited that with just the way that they pursued the ball and surrounded him. And it, it kind of cut the head off of West Virginia's offense. That's perfect for K-State. As good as Eli Huggins, Drew Wiley, Robert Hintz, Jalen Pickle, you know, you go across the defensive line, but as good as those defensive tackles have been so far this season, that plays right into K-State. And if you get through that, that defensive line, guess what? you got to deal with two experienced veteran linebackers and Justin Hughes and Eli Elijah Sullivan, 
Cody Fletcher and Daniel Green have played pretty good ball to this point too. So again, Fitz, I, I think if you can take out Letty Brown and really make, make Jared Daigie beat you, um, that's going to be the MO for K-State. And I think it really fits them to a T. I'm with you. I think this defense is designed to stop a team just like West Virginia in the fact that you finally have corners that can go cover man if that's what you need. Just go out there on an island so you need to stop the run if that's what you have to do. But they also have a really assignment sound defense. And we saw it last week with Justin Gardner in the pass game. Stays at home, gets the pick six. But on top of all that, they tackle well, Ryan. They tackle extremely well. Uh, and this season we're not seeing good tackling because I don't think players have had that much experience on the practice field, and it, it's kind of showing up on game days. But not right now, not for K-State. And I feel like if Letty Brown beats him, he's going to have to really earn it. I mean, he's going to have to be really good. But let's recall last year in Manhattan, it was Jarrett Daigie who came up with the big play, who somehow had a receiver – magically appear behind the K-State defense on one of the most painful plays you could watch develop if it's happening to your team. Is Deggie good enough to do that again, or did he just kind of sneak up on K-State a year ago? I think he has the capability of doing it, but I think the reason he has the capability of, of maybe sneaking out a big play like that that can really cost the Cats is because of the weapons that he has. I, I think when you look at the wide receivers that West Virginia is going to hit against K-State on Saturday, there's there's some guys that can really create. I mean, Winston Wright, a sophomore um, for the West Virginia Mountaineers, has really grown into one of the league's better, uh, more dynamic wide receivers. He's only 5 feet 10, but he can really get out and, and make guys miss in the open field. Um, you go down the list, uh, Sam James has had problems in the past with um, dropping some balls. He's looked more efficient this year. T.J. Simons is a, an Alabama transfer uh, that's played in 25 games for them. And then Bryce Ford Wheaton is another kind of young guy that's already started seven games, but he's kind of that big presence, that 6'3", 220 type body that can create some matchup problems. So if Davey's going to beat you, Half of it's going to be, you know, him putting a ball where it needs to be, which every now and again he can do that. But I think more of it is going to be those wide receivers winning one-on-one -on -one battles. So far, I'm willing to put some confidence in guys like Justin Gardner, Echo Boydo, A.J. Parker, because like you said, Fitz, they've proven it so far in man coverage. Um, but this will be another big test for them. It sure will. If K-State can win this game, and looking back through the schedule, after winning at Oklahoma, you looked at the next four games, you went, oh boy, they could run the deck, run the whole thing here. And here they are in a position to do that. If they win this game, is K-State a strong possibility getting into that Big 12 championship? Because even if they lose to both Oklahoma State and Iowa State, it's still very possible. Then they beat Baylor and Texas and somehow sneak in. I just really like the Cats' chances on the season they'd have to basically collapse not to get to, into the Big 12 championship. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the schedule because I, I really do see this Halloween matchup in Morgantown being kind of a swing game. And, and like you said, maybe it's not swing game as if the wheels are going to come off, but just how, how big can this season become for the Wildcats? We'll find out with this game because I think if you beat West Virginia on the road, a West Virginia team that, as we've already talked about in the last couple of minutes, has – 
a lot of firepower on both sides that, you know, has really become a balanced team as a, compared to last season anyhow. Then you go against number six Oklahoma State back in Manhattan feeling pretty good about yourselves. You get Iowa State. And then, you know, Baylor and Texas down the stretch, which, you know, again, a Texas team coming up to Manhattan on December 5th, you'd have to think are pretty good about the Wildcats' chances. And Baylor maybe isn't quite the Matt Rule Baylor that we saw last year um, in 2020. So you lose this game, and then it becomes uh, how quick can you bounce back against the Cowboys of Oklahoma State, who statistically are the best team in the Big 12 this season. And then, oh, by the way, you got to go up to Ames. So, I, I think this is a big game just from a momentum standpoint. I don't want to say confidence standpoint because I think Chris Kleiman's staff does a really good job of really breeding and, and investing confidence in these guys throughout the week. But still, momentum is one of those things that it doesn't matter how much you preach, you kind of got to feel that. And I think if you beat West Virginia, you have a lot of tangible momentum. If you lose to West Virginia, especially depending on what the scoreboard is at the end of the game, that, that might be some momentum that um, could be tough to get back heading into a game against the Cowboys. Thank you, Ryan Wallace. As always, good stuff. Now we turn to Brian Hanley, our football analyst at GoPowerCat.com. Brian, now that you've had a good part of a week to absorb what K-State did to KU, how astonishing was that special team's domination? I mean, again, it's just – it's, it's there's something they're putting something into complex water there, Tim. I mean, for the the special teams to just be this good for this long, I mean that that was just a dominant performance. And again, like I mentioned uh, after the game, that it's special teams is effort. It's just guys going out there and just giving effort. And you can see it. They just love blocking and hitting guys and escorting guys to to the end zone. It's just all effort. Guys are having fun. And when you got guys out there giving effort, having fun on special teams, then you're doing something right. You know, back in the day, Coach Snyder would put anyone and everyone on special teams. But Coach Kleiman, for the most part, um, maybe the the actual specialist is different, the returner. But even Philip Brooks, former walk-on sophomore out of the Kansas City area, and you start listing off the other players who are notable and so obvious on these special teams: Brock Monty, Ross Elder. You know, you just keep going. I mean, you you, you can Landry Weber, walk-ons, walk-ons, yep. walk-ons, walk-ons, walk-ons from Kansas or the Kansas City area. People that KU probably could get if they'd offer them a scholarship. But they don't even bother recruiting them because they're a little bit inferior and from the state of Kansas. That is who really kicked KU's butt on Saturday. And that's really got a stick in the craw of of a lot of KU fans that these kids that are available to us and we're not recruiting just absolutely trash the football program. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's a killer. Again, I understand that Kansas is not going to have, you know, the amount of Division One recruits that a Texas is or a Florida or a California. I understand that part. But there's still good kids in the state of Kansas that can play good football every year, and yet KU can't get them. Now, number one, that's going to speak to some of their program, but they're not even going after a lot of these kids, Tim. And if you're not going to go after them, I don't know who they think they are, but it's Kansas. They should be, I mean, you have to start recruiting from the out or from the inside out. Start from your campus and work your way out. 
go get some of these kids to come play for you. And just, I mean, half the time the guys, Tim, are just so happy to be playing for a Division One school in their state that they're going to give maximum effort every snap they get. So go get those guys. They'll play for you. But, hey, we can't just, just keep doing what you do, and, and it'll just keep being what it is. Yeah, let's not give them too much advice. They might actually listen. <laughs> Uh, turning to the West Virginia game on Saturday in Morgantown. Uh, I'm intrigued by this game for this reason. These are the two finalists for K-State's job. I mean, he, yep. they ended up picking Chris Kleiman. Good choice. But I like Neil Brown an awful lot, too. And he was really the other guy. And it was a tough choice for the people making that. Gene Taylor finally said, I'm going with my guy. I know I'll get it done. And nobody can doubt that decision now. But I see the similarities that Gene Taylor and the committee of three recognized here. This is a traditional football coach. He wants to play defense. He wants to have balance on offense. He wants to run the ball. And he's doing that with the Mountaineers and a very good running back in Luddy Brown, who's getting the ball about 20 times a game, going for about 120 a game. As an offensive lineman, you got to love that. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting back, running the football, just lining up, and just mano y mano, I'm going to move you, and we're going to have a guy that's going to run behind you. I mean, as off as a lineman, it doesn't get any better than that. And so when you see it, and that's what they're doing, it's good to see. I mean, it's going to be a smash-mouth football game, so I'm really excited to watch it. When you're on the football field or preparing for a game, let's put it that way, as a player – and there's a player like Jarrett Dagey who appeared magically in the game against Kansas State and uh, made enough plays last year to help his team win. How much does that motivate you the next year around that you kind of got clowned by a guy that nobody expected? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it makes a – it leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth, you know, to, to say the least. Uh, guys are not going to be happy about it. Um, it just, it's, it's an embarrassing feeling. Let's just call it what it is. It's just embarrassing feeling, but you have opportunity for payback. So, you know, today, I mean, Saturday's the day. Yep. Indeed. After we're done taping the uh, post game podcast on Saturday, I turned on much of the West Virginia, Texas tech game. And it was a good game. Very entertaining. West Virginia's defense has been playing very solid this year, but tech was able to yeah. get points when it really needed to. And I just wonder if Will Howard and this offense are advanced enough. We saw great progression in the second half against Kansas. If they can go down and score a bunch of points, if they need to do so in Morgantown, your thoughts? Wide receivers are going to have to play a big part in this game, Tim. We can't just line up and just try to run the ball all day against them unless something crazy happens and we're just able to do that all game, which I don't believe is going to be the case. We're going to need the wide receivers to step up big in this game, to loosen things up because everybody knows that we want to run it first, which is fine, but we need to be able to throw the ball over their head when that's the case. And that's what we need to be able to do. So wide receivers, I know we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. It's going to be huge for them this week. Huge. Really will. Uh, really, really will. They tried to do that in the second half. They did a better job with including the receivers in the game plan in the second half against Kansas. Uh, again, Sebastian Taylor ends up being kind of the guy. They got a catch for for Malik Knowles, but I don't think that I, I just don't think that solved his problems. I, I think there's a lot more going on here, and, and I'd like to see him get involved 
from the very start in Morgantown and really feel like he's part of the game plan. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to be a part of it. I mean, he's, I don't know if he's the most talented guy. He seems to be the most talented guy who knows, but you've got to be involved. Just got to be involved from the very beginning, you know, and see what happens. It's, I think it's what you're saying. I think there's more going on here. Uh, like I said, at the, the post game podcast last week, it was just when he caught that pass, that said a lot to me personally, where as a former player, you could just see that a guy was just fighting it and fighting it. And he said, I'm just going to catch this ball no matter what. And I'm just going to fall down and make sure that I caught the ball. And I think that can help. That can help because confidence may have just been shot, maybe in the doghouse, whatever the case may be, but it's time to go. So hopefully that helps and we can just move forward. Let's circle back around to special teams. Let me ask you this. K-State is 4-1, uh, and one, halfway through the season, this shortened pandemic season of 10 games. 4-0 and oh in the Big 12 in a great position with a win Saturday in Morgantown to maybe earn a spot um, in the Big 12 championship game. They just can't collapse at that point. But um, special teams is kind of driving this thing right now. It's been the one consistent thing about this team all year long has been special teams. Do you think Phillip Brooks will be allowed to return the ball more than like four or more times the rest of the season on punts? Do you think everyone's just going to punt it away from him? Well, you know, depending on the game and the season, I mean, there's going to be, you remember a lot of punt returns are made by punter mistakes. So, and there's going to be more than four times where a punter makes a mistake and just kicks it down the middle or supposed to kick it somewhere else and doesn't. So that's going to happen. But I think for the most part, they are going to try to kick the ball away from this kid. They're just not going to allow him to change the game. And that's what we have been doing. We've been changing games. And that's what good special teams do. They change games, change momentum, and change field position at the very least. And I think that's what we're just going to be. He's going to be able to do that anytime he gets his hands on the ball. And I don't think teams are, are going to necessarily going to want or allow him to do that. If it happens on an accident where a punter makes a mistake, that happens. But they're, they're going to intentionally kick the ball towards the sideline, try to pin him in, and it's that's just what's going to happen. They're not going to let this guy do what he did on Saturday. Yeah, there comes a point in special teams, and we've both seen it through the years with Bill Snyder. Now it's happening with Chris Kleiman. When the opposing team surrenders and says, you know yep. what, we're going to kick the – the kickoffs are going to go really high. If we can't get them through the end zone for a touchback, we're just going to kick them high and short, uh, and you're going to get the ball around the 30. Punts, we're just going to kick it out, and we might only punt it 25 yards, but you're going to get it right there. We're just not going to risk you having the big return. And that's really the box that Chris Kleiman's put other teams in now. Do you just give up on special teams and say, we're not playing with you, we're just going to give you the ball? And if they want to pivot back to no returns, I think K-State just goes back and tries to go get the punter again uh, and start the cycle all over and start punting, uh, blocking punts. Yeah, I think so too. You know, if the team gives, first of all, you kind of like that. Uh, I mean, if we're going to get the ball in the 30-yard line after every kickoff, then I'll take it. Uh, although I want more, don't get me wrong, but I will take it. If teams are just going to give up, then we've won. You know, one of the positions, you know, we've won. 
And that's what you want. You want to win all three phases. Well, that's one phase that we can win. Now, as far as punting is concerned, that can be a little different because if you drive the ball 40 yards down the field, you're kicking it out of bounds. You know, we're not winning that battle. Um, so that, I mean, that's literally what teams are wanting to do. So it's just what you said. Then we just have to go after the punter. Uh, and we've proven that we can go get punts when we want to go get punts. So that's just what we're going to have to do if teams are going to start doing that and waving the white flag, kicking it again. It, it's different with punts because if you're punting it out of bounds, 40 and 40 yards, that 40, 45 yards down the field, that's a win for them, not us. Kickoffs are different if you're kicking it short, but punts are a win. So we, we've got some things that we can do, and uh, I think that we will do it too. It's like we're not going to let you just surrender and kick the ball out of bounds with punts. If you're going to do that with angle punting, we're going to figure out which way are you kicking, and we're going to bring pressure to that way, and we're going to try to block some of these kicks. One final thing before we wrap up this segment. What does K-State need to do to win this game in Morgantown? I think they need to be the more physical football team. I know that's the easy thing to say, and everybody says it every week, but they need to be the more physical football team. The last week, the first half, the penalties killed us. So we got to be the more physical team, but the more disciplined football team. You're on the road. You can't have all these penalties, killing drives and killing scoring opportunities. So we need to be more physical, be the more disciplined team. And if we can do those things, then we'll come out with a win. Thank you, Brian Hanley. I will talk to you on the post-game show. And now it's time for Kelly Stewart as we head off to Las Vegas to get her angle on the odds for this game. Kelly, I was surprised to see K-State open at a three-and-a-half-point underdog uh, on the road. West Virginia favored by a field goal and half a point. I'm not sure how that works. I've never scored a half a point before. But were you surprised West Virginia was the favorite in this game? I, I'm not surprised West Virginia's favorite. I was surprised that Circa opened them up as a five-point favorite, and it quickly dropped to three and a half. I mean, that was available for a very brief moment in time because why? Everybody knew that was too many points, right? This is a really good K-State team. Uh, of course, K-State has moments of weakness, and we've seen it a couple of times this year. But for the most part, they're just not garnering the respect from the bookmakers that they deserve. I mean, I told you on the show last week that Texas Tech was going to beat West Virginia. Why West Virginia was a three-and-a-half-point road favorite at Texas Tech was baffling to me. I, I think the line is about right. I bet it closes closer to two-and-a-half. I bet we see a ton of K-State money. So if you like K-State, you need to bet them now. And uh, it sounds like Juice Vaughn's going to be a go. And that was my only concern. That's why I didn't bet it early. I was waiting to make sure that, for the most part, our best player on the team was going to be in attendance for a game. Yes, we believe he will be good to go. He had his hand injured, did finish the game, though, last week against Kansas. From all we're hearing, he's good to go. But you just never know these days. Kids just are disappearing left and right, whether it's injury or COVID, and it it's got to make this a little bit more difficult on folks like you as all of a sudden, hey, key player is gone. Just we didn't know anything. Absolutely, Tim. But, you know, it's always best not to overreact. Hmm. I had a guy I went round and round with on Twitter last week because I, I was asked, do you still like Purdue at three and a half? I like Purdue at three. Well, Kelly, their best wide receiver's out. It's three and a half. Oh, well, now that people automatically over assume, oh, the line should be six now. What? This is not an NFL quarterback guys this is one 20 year old player on a college football team so keep that in mind when you're betting college specifically that 
we don't want to freak out for lack of better words like look at when we went when skylar was going to be out what happened to the market people overreacted and guess what it didn't change thing yeah it didn't i think uh k-state's in pretty good shape heading into this game you know kelly one of the things that uh, k-state has done really well here since that opening disaster is acclimate to the fact that you're going to lose players they they don't seem to as a team overreact to steal your word they seem to say, okay, next man up, here we go, let's go play some football, and that has paid off for them. And in the course of the season, they're developing pretty good depth, which is not a typical K-State trait. Um, and we'll see if they're good enough to get a win in West Virginia. I like K-State straight up in this game. I think K-State's defense, along with special teams, is good enough to get this team by until Will Howard is fully settled in at quarterback. And you know what? I think he's getting there pretty quickly. I would say he's getting there very quickly. I've been very, um, I wouldn't say surprised, but very pleased that he has been able to fill in that role so nicely. And I think, Tim, going back to what you said, this is just a sign of a very well-coached team, right? That's what well-coached teams do. You don't allow um, one player to become a problem. You don't allow one player to become... uh, for lack of better words, the whole focus, right? right? So if Kleiman's got this team ready to go and it says, you know what, hey, we lost, let's use Deuce Vaughn, for example, this week. Let's say, hey, you know, Deuce isn't a go. It, I understand you can't just plug and play a player like him, but you have to be able to keep your team's mindset clear and say, you know what, he isn't the whole team and we can rally around this and still come out with a win. Yep. Yes, indeed. 45 and a half is the over-under number in this game. I actually think that might be high. I, I think this is going to be a defensively driven game. Tim, I feel like you say that every week. I, I laugh because K-State got steamed. And by steamed, that means they just got at the, the under got absolutely hammered last weekend. And I was getting texts all Saturday morning. Kelly, what do you think about this total? I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand where all this love for the under was coming in. And then K-State basically covered the total by themselves. Yeah. So it, it's a very interesting thing. If, if this offense is clicking, we know West Virginia's defense is mediocre at best. Um, they're not somebody that I see being able to stop K-State. I would not be betting the under. I'm not saying rush the window, bet the over. I would be a little cautious when betting the K-State unders, at least until until we start to see the numbers catch up here. And I do think that they will. But K-State, again, has just not been on the bookmaker's radar. I swear, I feel like they're, they're either getting no respect or no one's spending a significant amount of time on this team. No, I agree, and I think they're probably hanging on and waiting for next weekend and the weekend after that when it's Oklahoma State and Iowa State in back-to-back weeks. Uh, But, Kelly, I I was just telling someone earlier today that I feel like if K-State can win two out of three in the next games, they're in really good shape to get into the Big 12 championship game. It's incredible. You know, it is incredible, Tim. I know Oklahoma State squeaked out that win, but we got the cover with Iowa State or the push if you bet it late. This Iowa, uh, this Oklahoma State team has some definite promise, but I would say it's Oklahoma State, Iowa State's in the mix, Kansas State in the mix. And, yeah, I, I would absolutely try not to get my hopes up too much, but I would say that K-State should be playing for a Big 12 title. 
Got to get through this week, and that's true for Oklahoma State, too, which plays host to Texas down in Stillwater. Oklahoma State's up to six in the nation, and yet they're only a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against a Texas team that's two-and-two in the Big 12. What are your thoughts on this one? Look, I think Texas showed us last week that we're going to start getting a lot more from this team. Texas is one of those teams that we know takes time. They have a boatload of talent, just doesn't always get implemented well. Tom Herman being on the hot seat, I think, kind of lit a fire under him as well. We saw that, you know, Baylor really hasn't been able to practice. They haven't been able to play games. And so that first game, they really struggled. Let's not buy into that too much and give Texas too much credit there. But I lean towards Texas in this game. I do think that they will give Oklahoma State fits because, again, this Oklahoma State team, we talked about it last week, I'm not loving them. I'm not hating on them. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying they're getting an awful lot of respect, and they haven't really shown me that they've earned it. Yep. Oklahoma, 14-point favorite on the road at Texas Tech. Is Oklahoma finally waking up? Oklahoma appears to be waking up. Um, I looked at TCU plus seven last week. We spoke about it. I said I'd lean towards TCU. I don't think I'll get to the window. And boy, am I glad that I missed that one. Yeah. Oklahoma finally put on a clinic, and they looked really well against what is traditionally a pretty defensive-minded TCU team. So maybe if TCU's defense wasn't as good, Oklahoma could have scored more. Uh, look, this is a a spot where I don't want to bet Oklahoma on the road. I, I really don't. Getting over two touchdowns, should they absolutely trounce Texas Tech coming off that win? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I think that's just a little too steep for me. If it was 13 and a half, you might get me to bite, but over two touchdowns, I could see tech does weird things, right? They can score quickly. They make a lot of errors. I could see this going one way or another by a late sack fumble, a late pick six, something really off and just absolutely screwing my bet one way or the other. <laughs> and that's how it works. The game I love this weekend is TCU at Baylor. I see TCU's a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, but uh, I think this is a pick em. I I don't know who's going to win this. It's in Waco. I think this will really sort out. Uh, one of these teams I think is better than its record, and the other team is its record. What do you think about this one? I would agree with you. I was kind of very surprised to see after just one week of all of a sudden Baylor just getting bought off and catching two and a half at home. I, I lean towards Baylor in this one. I don't know if I'm going to get to the window. I think Baylor does need a few more games under their belt. Um, losing, you know, well, not losing, I shouldn't say, not being able to practice, not being able to play some of those early games to teams like Louisiana Tech and stuff like that. That Baylor offense is not a plug-and-play type of offense you've got to spend time and and go through the reps and through the motions if Baylor had three or four games under their belt and I was catching two and a half with them at home I would be all over it at this point I have to stay away but you're right this should probably be a pick em type game and I saved the best for last <laughs> um, Kansas at home <laughs> with number 23 Iowa State Oh, my goodness. Iowa State is a 28-and-a-half-point road favorite. I guess Vegas has decided KU is dead and done in the – just dead in the water and done for the season. So, last week we saw this with the Jets, right? The New York Jets just couldn't get a cover. 
Vegas, fine, we'll hang a high enough number that we know we can at least get some sharp money. Sure enough, a sharp group came in. Sure enough, the Jets got the cover because the number was too many points they were catching at home. How in the world did KU just go from closing as a 20-point underdog in Manhattan to being a 28-and-a-half-point dog at home? is absolutely mind-boggling to me. That tells me that that's an eight-and-a-half-point difference uh, between K-State and, and Iowa State, which is not true whatsoever. So, yeah, is KU the play? Yes. Am I going to bet KU? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't I, trust this team without without Puka to score that backdoor touchdown against West Virginia for them to cover. I mean, this is just not a team that can be trusted. I got to be honest. I thought they really, really missed Puka. It's like their heart and soul left and they didn't know what to do against K-State. They just collapsed. And I don't think as a player he was having that big of impact on the game except for what you mentioned, that ridiculous late touchdown on a kickoff return that got the cover at West Virginia. I keep going back to that game and thinking about how West Virginia kind of groped around with Kansas for uh, the most, basically the first half and thinking. Absolutely. They were down 10, nothing to start. And I was sending out messages to my West Virginia alum friends, just trolling early, knowing that at any point in time, West Virginia could absolutely come roaring back. But I mean, you can't let a pesky little team like KU hang around. And I have a feeling that's what Iowa State might do as well, just because it's KU. And once you have that mentality, I wish Iowa State was playing somebody big next week, like an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State, a Texas. Uh, but because they're playing Baylor, I can't think that they'd be looking ahead. But this is a big ask for them to cover basically 30 points on the road. It's incredible. It's an incredible number for a team. To be blunt, like Iowa State, it's a number you see for an Oklahoma when it's really good. Iowa State on the road at KU, wow, if they cover that, uh, man, KU's in full humiliation mode. Kelly, thank you very much. Good stuff as always. And I, I take it at the end of the day, your advice is based on the numbers, you should bet KU. Based on personal dignity, don't bet KU. (laughs) there you go thank you kelly always good stuff i really need to listen to you more often and heed your wisdom well folks you've heard from all the experts now we should have you well prepped for k-state's game in morgantown with the west virginia mountaineers at 11 a.m saturday morning the game is on espn2 so make sure you're ready to watch the cats and the mountaineers as k-state attempts to move to 5-0 in big 12 play and move further up in the rankings as they head into a crucial game next week at bill snyder family stadium with oklahoma state i'm tim fitzgerald for kevin keatsman and the rest of the crew Have a great game day, Cat fans, and we will talk to you after the game with the post-game podcast with myself and Brian Hanley. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.